Today, um, we're talking about a uh, subject that I will say I am not the, uh, a professional at, and neither are uh, probably any of you. Um, we're just trying to at least get by without messing our kids up too bad. Um, today, what we want to do is we're going to take some time in, i got to find my notes first. Um, we're going to talk about what does it look like. Um, we started this series a while ago, but we, we're talking about what does it look like to circle our kids and um, I think one of the things that I have to start off by saying is that I am not the authority in this, and uh, my kids are as messed up as any kids. Um, and if you uh, know us, you, you would know the struggles that we have, and um, there are some of you in here that do. Um, and so what I'm saying today is not parenting advice that says if you want the perfect kid in 10 steps, this is what you do. Uh, what I'm saying is what if we start doing this. What if we start circling them? And I'm going to explain to you in just a minute what it looks like to circle our kids. And um, I know our kids uh, probably are much like yours, where they, they love hearing stories. Do you, is any of your kids just like love like stories, whether it's from a book, whether it's from you, you telling them? I mean, like um, my parents weren't really ones that told stories, but like I had a great imagination and I made up stories all the time. And uh, my parents did like, didn't like it sometimes, but sometimes they did. Um, but our kids love stories. I mean, they sit there and they want to hear um, about the picture that's on the mantle that has me and a dog, you know, in a boat. And, and if I don't tell them the story, then they make it up. And when people come over, they're like, yeah, that's my dad. And he was on a boat with his favorite dog, you know. And I'm like, what? That dog's like flea infested, and, I mean, half of his life and like ran away all the time. You know, so it's like. I wouldn't put him up there as my favorite dog, you know, and, or they'd make up these big adventurous stories that I did with the dog, you know, like they just do. They just have that imagination to do it. And um, I remember when Zeke was really young, one of the things we did um, really early, and I don't know why we did it. I guess it was just some great parenting, like revelation we had, um, but it was fun. Anyways, uh, we used to tell him bedtime stories, but the bedtime story wasn't like a story that you know, didn't happen. It was a story that included him. But at a young age, he really didn't get it because we would always start the story off. There once was a boy named Wiki who looked a lot like Zeke. And Zeke is his, uh, is his nickname. His real name is Ezekiel, but we, we call him Zeke. He's getting to this point now where he's getting, almost hitting the double digits now, you know, in age. And so he's like, I don't want to be called Zeke anymore, you know? And we're like, why? And everybody's like, hey, Zeke. And he's like, I'm not Zeke, I'm Zeke, you know? And then sooner or later, it's going to be like, I don't want the name Zeke, you know, because then it rhymes with geek and, you know, all these other things. So, um, so sooner or later, he's going to have to take his real name, which is Ezekiel, and, which I think is a cool name. I, I want that name. Mine's CJ. It's like, eh. <laughs> you know, but mine stands for Charles James. I'm like, mine can't get any more like basic, bland name, you know, like Charles. Hey, you know, sounds very... Uh, Kingish, though, right? So, or prince, or something. I don't know. Anyways, back to my story. His name, we, we always said there once was a boy named Wiki who looked a lot like Zeke. And then we'd add in this part every time because it was true, whose feet were really stinky, who had lots of fun today. How many, I don't know why God makes kids' feet smell so bad, but they do, you know? Yesterday we get home from the soccer game. He didn't even play in the soccer game. He gets home. He takes his shoes off, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, either Calcadon or Zeke's feet stink, and they need to go take a shower. And so Zeke's like, it's not mine. 
And Calcanon's like, it's not mine, you know, with a 13-year-old attitude. Um, and we're like, I don't care whose it is. Both of you need to go wash your feet then. I don't know. But so Zeke goes off to wash his feet, and we're like, where'd he go? You know, like, we come around the corner into, our, like, our bathroom, like our guest bathroom. It's just a little half bath, you know. And here he is sitting on the sink with his feet in our, kitchen, or our little bathroom sink washing them. We're like, you got to be kidding me. And then last night we're getting ready to go to bed, and here's his stinky socks. Like, I forgot where Katie found them, like laying in the middle of the bathroom. So we're like sitting there figuring out why this bathroom stunk, and that's why he left them there. So parenting, you know, it's always fun, especially with kids. Anyways, back to my story. His feet were really stinky, and then he, but he had a lot of fun today. And then we would go through and we begin to recall all that he did through the day. And come to find out, there was like a study that just happened like a month ago that said if you tell your kids stories and you help them recall different events, it grows their imagination. And I'm like, that explains everything with Zeke because he has like got the most amazing imagination. I mean, the kid, uh, all the time, his sister's like, Zeke, stop playing around. Like, He's trying to make him, like, older than he really is. And I'm like, he's nine years old. Please don't steal that from him. Sooner or later, he'll be hating life, too, just like you. You know, but please don't rob him of that. You know, so, like, we would always do that. And then with our littlest one, Selah, we kind of, we wanted to do the same thing, but there wasn't, like, nothing really worked. You know, we'd be like, there once was a girl named Rayla who looked a lot like Selah. I mean, like, okay, that was Zeke's. So we, we created uh, a little character in, with Selah's name. So as if I think pretty much every girl, maybe not all girls, but pretty much every girl wants to be a princess at some point, right? And so we've given Selah a princess name. Her name is Selarella. And so what she, what she loved when she was little, and man, I'm telling you what, she lives up to the queen attitude too. So it's good. Um, but we also then took and we, we gave her people that she ruled over. Because every morning she'd wake up and she has like this fine, like really, really fine hair that like when you lay down, she, her hair somehow like moves and like ties in knots and everything else. And so when she gets up, it's like, you know, it's like static everywhere and hair messed up and tied together. And you're like, how did this happen? You know, but we, um, we created a, a people that she'd rule over and their names were the crazy hairs. So it was Sailorella, the queen of the crazy hairs. And so, you know, when she was younger, she really liked it. She's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, you had a party last night, didn't you? And she's like, yes. You know, and it's like, it, it just helped her, like, kind of remember her dreams and stuff. But it's interesting to me that how all of us, we love stories. We love hearing stories. We love good movies. How many of you are movie people? How many got to see Avengers this weekend? Anybody? Jealous. Every time we try to go, it's sold out. Joys of living in Adrian, I guess. Um, but... We love a good storyline. We love the plots. We love how it's going to unfold. We love, I, I'm learning. I did, wasn't a big reader when I was little, but now I love reading. I read a lot of books, and I love hearing the stories. I love watching them unfold. And so we're trying to instill that in our kids who just absolutely hate reading. It's like getting their teeth pulled. Um, but they love hearing stories. They love reading stories. They love watching movies. They love watching TV. All because we really, we just, we love to put ourselves in the stories, Right? And so if you read the Bible and you, you start in the early chapters of the Old Testament and you see uh, Moses being taught by God what it looks like to lead these people, these Israelites who on their own means would probably still be to this day wandering in the wilderness. But you see Moses being taught by God to say, here's what you need to do. And we talked about this a little bit when we um, did the picture uh, a couple 
month, about probably about a month and a half ago, we talked about these pictures and how like our picture frames don't fit the picture that God has for our lives because they're much bigger than that than just trying to make people fit into this. And what happens when that picture doesn't happen the way we want it to happen? Then all of a sudden everything's in chaos and oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We talked about this verse in um, Deuteronomy six, where right after God said, "Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength," He went on and He begins to talk about this idea of teaching your kids, telling them the story over and over. Don't let them what? Forget. Forget where they've come from. Forget who I was. Forget what I did for them. And so he's saying, don't let them forget that they were once slaves and I brought them out. I redeemed them. I brought them out of their slavery and gave them freedom. Don't let them forget that. But don't let them forget, more importantly, who it is that I am and was in that time. In that time of their life. And so he goes on, and if you, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Deuteronomy 11 um, this morning. Chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 13, it says, If you carefully obey all my commands I have, I am giving you today, and if you love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul, if you worship him, then he, w- then he will send rains in the proper season so you can harvest crops. He will give you lush pasture lands for your cattle to graze in, and you yourself will have plenty to eat. But do not let your heart turn away from the Lord to worship other gods. We just came out of that series. If you do, the Lord's anger will burn against you. He will shut up the skies and hold back the rain, and the harvest will fail. Then you will quickly die in the good land the Lord has given to you. So commit yourselves completely to these words of mine. Tie them around your hands as a reminder. Wear them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on your way on a journey. When you're lying down and when you're getting up, write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates, so that as long as the sky remains above the earth, you and your children may flourish in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors. There's this picture, again, later on, five five chapters later in Deuteronomy, where God brings it back again. Now that you've loved me, don't forget. Don't forget to tell the story. Don't forget to do whatever it takes to remember who it is. So if it's tying it around your wrist, if it's tying it around your forehead, if it's writing it on the doorposts of your home, if it's talking about it when you're lying, when you're sleeping, when you're driving, when you're on a journey, he's saying, make it a part of your everyday life. Make this journey, make this, um, these promises, make these the commandments, make them everything in your life. Man, I swear, Gail has a big ear. <laughs> This thing will not stay on my ear. But do you get what I'm saying? There's this value. This value in telling this story and passing it down from one generation to another generation to another generation. But here's the thing I think we get sidetracked on. We tend to look at the things that happened instead of the God that made them happen. And instead of passing down the God that made the things happen, we passed down the things that we were able to do. And you know what happens sooner or later? People forget, people quit, people walk away. Why? Because as great as that thing was, the God who was behind it wasn't in the midst of it and it wasn't talked about. You see, Paul in um, Ephesians 6, 4, he says this, He said, do not anger your kids by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of your master. For so many years, I've I've struggled with this verse because, uh, first of all, it has a big word in there called exasperate. 
And so I took it and made it anger because that's really what it means. Um, and some translations do it, but I think sometimes we look at it and we stop at that first part. Don't exasperate your children. Or don't make your children angry. And we're like, I, I just barely speak and my kids are like, you know, and they get angry and I'm like, oh, well, I stink as a parent, you know. But we forget about the second half of that, which is key. And he says, you take your kids by the hand and you lead them in the way of your master. So we see this idea, whether it's in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, we see these different patterns where he's saying, tell them, show them, lead them, tell them, show them, lead them. He's saying, don't just make it about your words, make it about your actions also, and lead them in the way of the master. We see it, we see it throughout the Bible. We see it all over. And one of the things I want to bring your attention to today is this. How do you see your kids? I think a lot of times we look at it and go, yeah, they're a gift from God sometimes. And, you know, we, we look at them and we put some value to them, but we don't really, really see them. We don't really understand how big of a gift they are. You see, I think if we miss the fact that they are a valuable gift to you and to I, we also miss the fact that they are also a very dangerous weapon. You're like, yes, they are, you know. But the thing is, is that we miss this point. We miss the point of how valuable their life is and how dangerous they are. And the devil is out to try to destroy that at any chance he can get. Because the devil's main job and what he wants to do with every one of us and with our kids is to destroy, okay? The Bible says that his job, what he's out to do is steal, kill, and destroy. Why? Because then he can thwart the plans of God. We see it throughout the Bible where in the beginning where Moses was born, he wiped out a complete generation, right? We see it again when Jesus was born. He wiped out a complete generation. It's still a tactic that he uses day in and day out in this country and in this world. He wipes out kids constantly. Why? There must be something here to learn. Maybe we're not valuing kids the way we should be valuing kids. Maybe we're not seeing kids the way we should be seeing our kids as a deadly, dangerous weapon against the schemes and the the advances of the, king, or of, of the enemy's kingdom. If we look in Psalms 127, if you want to turn there, you can. If you don't, you just listen. But Psalms 127, verses 4 through 5, it says this, Children are a gift from the Lord, and they are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like sharp arrows in a warrior's hands. He goes on to say, How happy is a man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. They're like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. To me, that, that, that verse this week really rang true. How much am I doing? To, what am I doing to shape and mold my kids and to be that, that deadliest weapon they could be towards the, the attacks and the schemes of the devil? What can they do to destroy the works of the enemy? The Bible said that Jesus came... And his main, one of his main purposes was to destroy the works of the enemy here on this earth, to build his kingdom here on this earth. And I believe that's the same thing for your life and my life and our kids' lives. That's what he's shaping. That's what he's forming these deadly weapons in and for, is to destroy the works of the evil one. Today, I want to just ask you a few questions. These are questions that we've been wrestling as a family, and I know um, many of you will too. But it just says this. What are you telling your kids? 
What are you telling your kids? We know how powerful our words are. James like takes a whole chapter and just dedicates to it to say, be careful what comes out of your mouth. Be careful the words you speak because they have power in them. What are you telling your kids? And not only what are you telling your kids, but how are you leading them? What are they seeing you do? How are they seeing you act? Because sometimes I think we make the mistake of just going, it's about our words, but really what they're watching is a lot more is your actions. They're looking to see if the very thing that you're asking them to be, if you're actually being. If you're wanting an intimate relationship for them, they're looking to see if you have an intimate relationship with him. Right? They're watching you. They're watching you very, very carefully to see who it is you are and what you stand for and what you believe in. And a lot of people turn away because of what they see, not so much what they hear. They turn away because those two things aren't adding up. What are you seeing? What are you telling? We, uh, we started yesterday a project that probably is way bigger than we should have ever tried. But um, we decided, hey, this year we're going to plant a garden. Okay? I'm not a gardener. I do not have green thumbs. Okay? I married into a farming family, but my wife has not a green thumb either. So we went to, I went to the store yesterday, bought some plants because we didn't even try to just do it from seed. We just said, hey, we're going to get at least something that's this big. So we at least can say, look what we grew, okay? Um, and so we went there, and, you know, the guy walks you around, tries to figure out what you want, and I'm just like, give me what's ever easy that's going to grow without me having to, like, uh, to me, do a lot of work, but everything's a lot of work when it comes to that. Um, and so he kind of gave me some different things, and, you know, he hands me a tomato plant, and I'm like, okay, I take these home, I'm going to plant these in the garden, I'm going to get tomatoes, Right? But what if all of a sudden, I, I don't know what it is. I just know it's a plant and it's green right now. I stuck it in there and he told me it was tomatoes, but I ended up planting cucumbers. You know what's funny is I think a lot of us do that same thing with parenting. We look at it and go, oh, we'll just plant this and we'll hope something good comes out. We'll hope we'll get tomatoes. But the problem is we end up getting cucumbers because we don't know what we're actually planting. Right? The Bible talks a lot about sowing and reaping. Wow, it got silent. The Bible talks a lot about what are you planning? What are you, what's going to be coming back? What's the thing that you're going to reap? What's the harvest that you're going to end up taking in? I think a lot of us, if we really got down to it, the things we are planning really aren't what we want to, to be the harvest when it comes time to harvest. And I think some of us, we kind of just go... Okay, I'm planning this, hoping that I don't mess this up, you know. A couple weeks ago, we went to the parenting conference, and I was um, walking in, and they just wanted to see your ticket. And I'm like, okay, here. And I'm like, you don't want it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, I'm walking away. I'm like, good, at least I can show my kids I actually tried, you know. Okay, that didn't work here either. Jeez. <laughs> but it's true, right? Like, we just, want to, we just want people to know, like, hey, we're trying our hardest. So whether it's a conference, whether it's like we're just trying to raise our kids in the best way we know possible, because really when it comes down to it, we're still kids. We still act like babies sometimes, you know, like we don't know what we're doing. So we've got to, we've got to then consult someone who does know. So when I went to the gardener, I knew, I knew when I went to him, he knew what I was planning and it would be the right thing. But see, a lot of times we don't go. We just assume that this is what we need to do instead of consulting with the gardener to go, or the person that knows what the plan is to plant the right thing. See, I think you and I need to spend some time with God so that we can see who it is that our kids are supposed to be. 
and who they're supposed to become. First Samuel, Samuel, if you know the story of Samuel, his mom prayed for Samuel to be born because she couldn't have kids. God gave her Samuel, and he grew up, and he became everything that Hannah asked. And at the end of his life, I mean, if you read this story, it's sad because his sons just went the wrong way. They did all the wrong things. And Samuel, though, at the end of his life, wrote these words, and he just said, you know what? I won't stop praying. I'm not going to stop praying for these things because I believe in them so much. I believe in who it is that God's called them to be. I believe in what God's asking us to do, and I'm not going to stop. How often do we look at that that way? How often do we stand in that circle and go, God, I'm not going to move until you answer this prayer. I'm not going to move until you meet me here and you show me what these kids are supposed to look like so that I can stand for them, so that I can plant the right things, so that I can harvest and get what I believe or what you believe these kids are, or what you believe, what you want these kids to be. Jesus, at the end of his life, you know, he, looked, he comes and he's getting towards the end and he, he looks at his father and said, I've, I've, I've done everything I can with what you've given me. I've done my best with these guys that you give me. And God, you can see how messed up some of them are. But I've done my best. I've done my best to lead them, to show them, to guide them. And if you look at the life of Jesus and you read it through the Gospels, you see how much time he spent with these, this small group of guys and then even a smaller group of guys to really go, no, watch me, learn from me, learn what I'm going to do. And what you see is that these guys, even though they had their mistakes, even though they had their mess-ups, they went on to do some incredible things. Why? Because they watched the master do it first. They watched the person that they needed to model their life after do it first. I mean, Peter, for crying out loud, ended up being crucified, but he wouldn't be crucified the same way his Savior was, so he asked him to flip the cross upside down and was crucified upside down. I mean, he even went that far to the point of death. You see, a lot of times I think we look at things and we, we devalue our actions or we devalue our words and go, it doesn't matter. But I can tell you, these little ears are listening and they're receiving and they're taking in and they're living out all they hear and all they see. I know some of the most damaging things in my life have been by things that have been said. And those things became a prophetic declaration of what I was going to become or so people thought. And it wasn't until I began to understand who I was in God's eyes that I began to stand up into who I was. Because when I was over here remembering and recalling all those things that were said to me, I was who the devil wanted me to be because I was no threat to him. But as soon as I grabbed a hold of who God had called me to be and I began to live that out, watch out, here we go. Right? That's the kind of kids I want. I want kids that the devil are, devil's afraid of. Because that, they're, they're a dangerous dangerous weapon. Second thing is this. What are you speaking into and over your kids? I talked about this just a minute ago, just the power of your words, the things that you do, the things that you say. I was thinking about this when I was driving to Adrian over the first one. Isn't it amazing to me, like, we can see how much we really value kids. Like, I was thinking about this. If we, as a church, as a community of faith, as believers, if we really valued our kids there would not be a need for kids. There wouldn't be a need for people to come around them and begin to circle them and pray for them. There would not be a need for people to sit and teach them and tell them the story over and over again because it would be that much of a value to us. I said, I I was thinking about this on the way out. I'm like, that would be the most joyous day when we have to look at people and go, you know what? We've got, you know, 45, 50 kids and 
Uh, we got 50 adults, so I think we're at a pretty good ratio. But you know what? Let's double it up. We'll put two on each kid and say, hey, look at this. Well, you know, I don't know what it looks like, but at least they're hearing the story over and over, and they're seeing people live this thing out. That's the problem. They're not seeing, most kids are not seeing many adults living this out, and they need to see it. But they also need people that are willing to speak into them and over them. My prayer is, is that every person that holds babies in this place is praying over them as they're holding them today. And they're beginning to speak words of life into them. That they're beginning to understand, they're beginning to see this little baby as a valuable, highly valuable gift that God's given us. But not only a gift, but an incredibly dangerous weapon to the, the kingdom of the enemy. Right? Next thing is this. What are you asking God for, for your kids? Hannah, when she was praying for a baby, after God gave her Samuel, she made this statement. She said, I asked God for this boy. How specific are you being about what you want your kids to become? Or who they're supposed to be? How specific have you been in praying over them and around them and circling them with the promises of God? She said, I asked for this boy. And guess what? God gave me it. I think it's possible for us to begin to believe in faith that this is who God's called our kids to be and start believing and praying that and circling them with it. Here's what I want to do today. Jacob, come here. Jody, come here. What's this stuff? Shrink wrap, right? Jody's looking forward to this right now. Just don't put it over his mouth, okay? We're good. Jacob, I need you to hold this right here with both hands and put it up to your chest, okay? It's like this. Every time we begin to pray one of the promises that God has for this kid's life, it's like we begin to circle him and we begin to wrap him in the promises of God, like this shrink wrap. Jacob is going, my mom's waiting for this day to kill me. Okay, here we go, you know? But every time we speak one of these promises over our kids, what we're doing is we're taking and we're wrapping them up. You can wrap them as much as you want. I know he needs it, okay? Um, but for instance, when we pray just uh, for his friendships, for instance, provide my children with friends who are supportive and truthful. Keep them from, um, from relationships that draw them away from you. As we begin to do this, we begin to wrap him in these promises. Because here's the thing. You can stop whenever you want. Jacob's feeling a little uncomfortable. Um, but the thing is, is this, every time we do that, we're wrapping him with another promise. And here's the thing I want to tell you, you can't stop after you pray at one time, because here's the thing, for every promise that they're hearing, how many more are trying to undo them? For every word that's positive, that's spoken into his life, how many words is he hearing that are negative? And it seems like it doesn't matter how many positive words you speak into your kid's life, it seems like all they hear is what they want to hear, um, but also the negative things. It's like, no, that's not who you are. I have a kid that's the same age as him, and I think they plot against us a little bit together. Um, but I'm looking at this girl going, man, if you can get this and you can stop like, making such a, our life crazy, um, like if you can get this, she's going to absolutely change the world. You know I know that? Because she's incredibly stubborn and doesn't take no for an answer which is not good when you're a parent, but man, when she gets older, it's just something that you go, I don't want you to lose this. But I also want you to respect and I also want you to understand authority. This week for us has been one of the most, I mean, 
you spell it out, it's the place down there, it's been that week with us. It's just been that way. But it's like we're not, we're not giving in. We're not going to give up. We're not going to stop praying. We're not going to stop circling her. We're not going to stop being the parent that she needs. I told her this week, I said, you know what, honey? It'd be so easy for me just to give you everything you want. That would make my job so easy. But I said, that wouldn't make me a good parent. It's just like God. God doesn't give us everything we want because he knows it would destroy us. But he gives us what we need. Right? Here's the thing I want to talk about for a minute. Rip this off. We're going to leave you like this for a little bit. You stay right there. What happens when you add heat to shrink wrap? It's in the word. It shrinks, right? You're waiting for me to pour out something to shrink them up, aren't you? I thought about that, but I'm like, okay, that'd be bad. It gets tighter, right? I'm a visual person. Like me seeing this, it gives me such a clear picture of how we need to start wrapping our kids in the promises of God. Because as the heat gets turned up in their life, what happens? That plastic gets tighter and tighter and it gets closer and closer. And what happens? They can't forget the promises that we spoke over them and through them and into them. Why? Because it's getting tighter and tighter and tighter and it's closer and closer to their heart. So we don't stop. We keep wrapping. We keep going. We keep going until it becomes something that is who they are. That's what God's asking of us in this building, in this church. And even those of you that are teachers, Jody's a teacher. What are you doing with the kids that have been placed in your rooms? If you're a believer, you should be praying over those kids as much as you do your kids. Because I guarantee those kids don't have the influence that Jacob has in his life. Or they may or may not, I don't know. But the thing is, what if you're the only one that's wrapping them, in, wrapping them up in prayer, wrapping them up in the promises of God? What if? We need people that are willing to start circling these kids so that it gets so, so wrapped up in who they are and who God, the promises that God has for them that it becomes everything to them. You can have a seat, buddy. If you can. The last thing is this. What kind of kids are you sending into the world? Right now, we have a bunch of little kids that are going to be coming up here. And they're your kids. At least I hope they are. Otherwise, someone just dropped them off and left them with us. <laughs> but how do you see these kids? Some of you may be grandparents. Some of you may not have kids. Some of you, but how do you see these kids? How do you value these kids? Come all the way over here, buddy, because you've got a lot. There we go. Do the dance, buddy. I want to wait till they all get in here just so you can look in their faces. That one's scared of me. You guys are like, what are we doing? But look at all these kids. Incredibly valuable. Right? But when's the last time you looked at them and said, wow, they're a dangerous weapon? Probably yesterday, but... But when's the last time you saw them, how God sees them? Because each and every one of these kids are a tool that God's going to use to destroy the works of the evil one.
There's a really great book, and I would encourage anybody to read it, but it's called The Hundred Million Arrows. And this book's on parenting, but it's also from the fact of taking these different examples of these kids that these parents have raised up and these kids that are doing some incredibly amazing things for God. But at the end of this book, the author writes the, um, of the story, and one of the things she writes about is the fact that she's given her kids everything. I mean, helped them be involved in all the different sports she wanted to be, taking them all over the world, been to Disneyland, inside and out, and has just literally spoiled them, Right? given them everything that they would ever need, given them all the different resources, all the things they need to succeed. And she said, I came to this point one day, and this is what she said. And it was the opening thing, and it was really eye-opening to Katie and I too. It says, I have lived as if the world is God's gift to my children instead of living like my children are God's gift to this world. When's the last time we saw these kids as God's gift to this world? We don't know what one of these 40 kids up here is going to do in this world. That one's going to do a lot. she got a voice, right? But what? What's going to become of Jack's life? What's going to become of all these kids? What what is God going to use in their lives? What is he going to do with them? I'm going to tell you this. I personally am not going to stop circling them with the promises of God because even though I may not know what it is that God has for them, going to make sure that they know, number one, who their God is, and they begin to walk out and live that out confidently. And they not only hear me talking about it, but they see me living it out. That's what I've determined. As bad as our week has been this week with our kids, and I think it just happens to be because I'm talking about parenting, and you know I don't have a clue what I'm talking about, I think it was more of a wake-up call for me, too, to go, don't stop doing what is right. Because everything in this world is pointing to kill, steal, and destroy your kid's life. And God's going, but there's so much more to them. They are, they are a weapon in the hands of a mighty warrior. And God's waiting and waiting for you to finish crafting them and leading them in the way that they should be so that sooner or later he can pull back that arrow and he can let it go. And he can begin to destroy the works of the enemy. Here's how we're going to close today. You hear them, you see them. They're beautiful, they're smirking at me. They're like, why are we up here? People are looking at me, okay? (laughs) But here's what I want to ask you to do. On the edge, on the two computer monitors here is a bunch of different promises. Abby's holding it up backwards so you can all see. I want you to spend the next just moments that we have, and all I'm asking you to do is this. Take some time circling your kids you want to borrow some shrink wrap to control them, you can. Um, But keep that picture in your mind. Every time you pray this prayer around your kid, you're circling them again. And every time you pray another one, you're circling them again. And sooner or later, they're going to get so wrapped up in the promises of God that they can't live for anything else. That's my prayer. As I'm dealing with... Now, listen very carefully. As I'm dealing with a little girl who... Number one is facing all kinds of odds because she, when she came into our home, she was 11 years old. She's now 13. And so you can only imagine anybody that's raised a 13-year-old girl already knows all the stuff that comes with that, right? But throw into it attachment issues. Throw into it abandonment. Throw into it trauma. Throw into it grief. Throw into it all these different things. And I'm literally sitting here going, God, I can't do this. I don't know why you ask me to do this. 
I don't know your situations. I don't know your circumstances. But I guarantee as parents, most of us are sitting here going, I am not set to handle and to, to raise these kids or to be the parent that these kids need to be. And God's going, you're not. That's why you're supposed to stay in communion with me. That's why we're supposed to have this intimate relationship where what I'm pouring into you flows out of you and goes into these kids. Because in our own strength, we're going to screw this thing up really bad. Sorry, I shouldn't have said that word. We're going to mess this thing up really, really bad. But with God's help, we're going to do our best to fashion an arrow that is going to destroy the works of the enemy. And so this morning, I want to pray, and I'm going to ask that you come, take your kids from these people, um, and uh, spend some time just wrapping them in the promises of God. If you want to come, you can as I'm praying. God, we love you. I thank you for these kids, these gifts that you've given this church and you've given these families. God, I pray right now, I pray right now that, God, you would use them in mighty ways. That, God, as these parents begin to wrap them in the promises of God, that, God, they would begin to understand and see who it is that you've called and created them to be. And may they find you to be who you've always said you would be. And that is true and that is good. And so, God, we thank you that your promises are always yes. And so, God, we we trust you. We know that you will do what you need to do in and through our lives so that we could be the best examples and leaders for these kids. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In Hebrews chapter 6, I love this passage of Scripture because it just really affirms what we're doing is what we're supposed to be doing. And uh, it goes like this. It says, When God made his promise to Abraham, he backed it to the hilt. Putting his own reputation on the line, he said, I promise that I will bless you with everything I have. Bless and bless and bless. Abraham struck it out, or stuck it out, and got everything that had been promised to him. When people make promises, they guarantee them by appeal to some authority above them so that there is any, if there is any question that they... They'll make good on it, the promise. The authority will back them up. When God wanted to guarantee his promises, he gave his word. A rock-solid guarantee. And God can't break his word. And because his word cannot change, the promise is likewise unchangeable. So these promises that we're circling our kids with are unchangeable. They're God's word. He set them in stone. He said, those are the promises that are for you. And I cannot change them. So today, as you go, if you want to stay and pray, you can. But as you go today, remember that every time you're circling your kids with those promises, they aren't going to change. The thing I hold on to very strongly is that God's word never, ever comes back void. So we love you guys. We'll see you next week as we continue the series.